So uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, and when I woke up this morning, I was like, I'm going to wear red. And I had two choices that I could find that were clean. It was either my Terps hoodie or my British red coat. And I thought that the Terps was probably more appropriate. Um, so, uh, you know, one day you might see my British red coat here, but, you know, it, it, it's, always, it's always in jest when I wear it. It was a present from my, my wife's sister one Christmas. It was very, very nice. But we've got Pentecost Sunday. And in the church, the day for the color for Pentecost Sunday is red um, because red is the color of the Spirit. And I'm being waved at by Miss Fern because somebody forgot to send the children out to children's church if they wish to go. Wendy's burying her head in her hands right now. <laughs> I have to say um, thanks for, um, I don't know, um, hanging out with us wearing some hats. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you get to be part of Children's Church a little bit. A little bit as well. So but, um, off you go. Any kids? Yep. Anybody who would like to leave with Miss Fern, please, off you go. Adults too, if you're fed up with listening to me and you want to hear Fern talk, then, you know, you can go. Um, so we have just heard read by Jay from Acts chapter 2, the account of what took place on Pentecost all those years ago. And today, it, it's the day that we celebrate the birth of the church. So the church didn't start while Jesus was on the earth. The church didn't start when he died and then when he rose again, or even when he ascended, the church began on Pentecost Sunday. It began on, on that day that, that Jay had, had read about as the disciples that had walked with Jesus were there, waiting, doing the very thing that Jesus had told them to do. And so we're going to look at chapter 2 of Acts um, and see... What led up to the birth of the church? See, before we get to what, what kind of the coming of the Spirit and, and the people hearing the Word and, and the message and getting baptized, and we hear that there's 3,000 people who respond on that day. Before we even get to that part of it, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 reads, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And the King James Version reads slightly differently. It says, They were all with one accord in one place. And so that together isn't just that they were in the same room, it's that they were together in mind. They were together in the vision, in the mission that God had given them. And they were committed to doing what Jesus had given them to do. And this picks up on that theme that Anne had uh, spoken on last week, of unity of the body. And that theme of unity will be continued into next week when we look at perfect unity, with it being Trinity Sunday. And though this idea of unity, and with this idea of being of one accord, going on to, into last week and continuing into next, really striking because 
For me, when we look at the worldwide church today, there's so much division. At times there's derision too. And it really, really, it just makes my heart ache. Makes me cry sometimes when I look at, at this falling apart. I mean, the church began with the apostles. It began with those disciples that walked around with Jesus during his time of ministry here on earth. And they were in agreement with what the church was about. They were of one accord. And, and they had a purpose. They committed to that mission that Jesus had given them. And then for like a thousand years, the church was, was unified. You know, they, they, they grew with numerous councils to discern what it was that they were called to believe, what it was they were called to put their, put their minds to, what God was saying to them, what was truth and what was not truth. But today, there's just so many fractions in this wider body of the church. Even as we look at different denominations, we see fraction. We see disagreement. We see infighting. And to the point where some feel that church history has become irrelevant. And it's more about how we feel today. It's more about what the world and the culture that we're trying to serve feel. How we're trying to take the mission to them, but we've got to do it in a certain way that makes them happy. And all of that work that was done by those councils becomes second to that. But the doctrines that are set in place help us understand what it is we do believe. And one of those key ones we're going to pick up next week is the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And here at St. John, we are recently coming out of departing from a denomination. The denomination that we were part of because we saw a deviation from what is the true Catholic faith. And Catholic with a small c, universal. Just because we're Lutheran doesn't mean we're not Catholic. We're just not Roman Catholic. And we've seen firsthand in that the effect that, that departing from tradition, from belief, and separating from those who continue to then walk in a way which is continuing to depart from that, how even on such a small scale of just here, how, how difficult that can be. How heartbreaking that can be. But in our reading, in Acts 2, we've got the disciples gathered together, waiting, following the instruction that Jesus has given them. And they were in agreement with one another. They were united in their beliefs, in their mission, despite, and when we think about it, despite the fact that they have been there for 10 days since the ascension. And can you imagine the, the challenge that that would be to patience, to kindness, to compassion, 
120 people in a room waiting. But they're still united. They're still of one accord. They're gathered together. They're waiting as Jesus has told them to wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and able to speak in languages that the Spirit gives them the ability to speak. I just want to pause there for a second. See, united together, they receive the Holy Spirit. And as we read on, the purpose we see for them receiving the Holy Spirit is to unite others with the message of the gospel that they carry. So they are united and they receive the Spirit for the purpose of uniting others to the message so that the church may grow, may multiply, and that those 3,000 who are baptized and come to faith can go and do likewise. The disciples were together. They were, they were obediently waiting, as Jesus had instructed them to do. They'd spent so much time in prayer. They shared the same heart. They shared the same love for God. They shared the, 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 the truth of, of his promises. And it's from that place that they receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 5 here, it, and, and onwards, it paints this picture of the multitudes that were gathered in Jerusalem. The Pentecost, as, as a word, it simply means 50th day. And it's the 50th day from Easter. And it comes really, it's at the same time of the Jewish festival of first fruits or the festival of weeks. Uh, also known as a Shavuot. And, and this was one of the three uh, pilgrimage festivals of biblical times. Where all Jewish men were required to travel to Jerusalem. And that kind of helps to explain the reason why there are so many people in Jerusalem on this day. You've got the Parthians, the Medes, the Alamites, the Mesopotamians, the Judeans, the Cappadocians, the Pamphylians, the people from Egypt, Syria, Rome, uh, Asia. And each of these people who are in the city, they hear the disciples and they understand them. They hear what their disciples are saying. Now imagine for a moment that you're in a crowd that big. And there are 120 people speaking. Do you think you could hear what any one of them was saying? I struggle when I go to see my kids at lunchtime at school. Yeah? There's maybe 90 to 120 people, depending on which child I'm having lunch with, in that lunchroom. And they're not all speaking at the same time, but they are making a racket. <laughs> and I have to really concentrate to hear what my kid is saying to me and pay so much attention. I have to even look at them so I can see the lips moving in case I miss what they're saying and I can try and work it out. So you're in a room of three, you're outside, there's 3,000 plus people and 120 are speaking. 
And those 120 aren't even outside with you. Those 120, you're hearing them through open windows and open doors as they're in the upper room. Got a whole lot of concentration if you're really trying to hear what they're saying. But remember, this is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. The Holy Spirit that's been given to the disciples who are united so they can bring others in unity and birth the church. And so maybe, just maybe, what's going on here is that God, through the Holy Spirit, is connecting with each person, no matter what nation they've come from, no matter what language they're speaking, in a way which supersedes natural language. Now, if we look carefully at the text, it says what? It says that the crowd heard what the disciples were speaking in their native tongue. It doesn't say the disciples were speaking in that native tongue. It says they heard in their native tongue. So this is the disciples. They've not come out to address the crowd. They're still, like I said, in the upper room. Yes, doors might be open. Windows might be open. But the crowd have heard the disciples speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit has given them the ability. The disciples have been loud enough to be heard. It's, it's from the reaction of the crowd to what the disciples are doing which causes Peter to address the crowd. So we've got to remember, we sometimes get run, run away with it. We lose the fact that the crowd is not addressed by 120 people. The crowd hear 120 people praying, and Peter addresses them as a result of that. See, Jerusalem, they're there for that festival. All those people. And if they're Jewish, they're going to speak Aramaic. And if they're not uh, a born Jew and they're a proselyte, then the chances are they're speaking Greek. So they don't need to have all of these different languages spoken, but yet they still hear in their native language, not necessarily Aramaic or Greek. We can't assume that the disciples spoke a language which was understandable by others in that native way, because the text doesn't tell us that's happened. We can't assume that isn't the case, because the text doesn't tell us. But it was something which was identifiable. God has given the disciples the ability to speak in another tongue. And we're talking here about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that is sent to unify people today. And it's more than capable of working through the words that we speak. So that the message of God can be heard. So the language being spoken by these 120 disciples, it could be a mix of languages of all those people who are present and they just happen to be able to hear their own in, in, in that melee. Or it could be, it could be a language which has been given for the disciples to be praising God. But a language yet which, although unique, is still understandable by those who are there. 
See, as I said, this, this is what leads Peter, standing with the other apostles, to address the crowd. The response to, why can we hear them in our own tongue? Oh, they must be drunk. I don't know how you get from, how can we hear them in our own tongue, to they must be drunk. Because that's a big jump for me. But that's, that's what they said. And that's what leads Peter to address the crowd. And he says to them, whoa, come on, they're not drunk. It's way too early to be drunk. Instead, this is what Joel prophesied. And I know I'm getting old because the vision stopped a few years ago and I've started having lots of dreams. Scriptures kind of talk to us in that way. So I know I'm getting old because I'm starting to dream. And that spirit that has come, it comes like a rushing wind with flames of fire resting on their heads. It's the same spirit that is manifested in a multitude of ways today. Right? So if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is the son of the living God, that he died for you on the cross, that he rose again, that your sins are forgiven because of his actions... That because of his actions, you've been adopted into the family of God and you are able to call him father. Then that Holy Spirit resides in you. And all of that power and all of that authority that you read of in scripture is given to you. But be careful with that because that power and that authority is given for one reason and one reason only. No matter the way in which it's manifested, no matter the gifts that you've been given through that, either, either as one-off uh, or, or a season, or if they're continued gifts, the Spirit is all about the same thing as the Son. And the Son, we know, is all about the same thing as the Father, which is reconciling the world to himself. Unity. Unity under God. The Spirit is all about unity. The Son is all about unity. And the Father is all about unity. And we're going to hear a lot more about that next week. But for now, as we start to respond, the band is going to come, come back up and they're going to, they're going to lead us in response as we, as we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. So lay down your agenda. Confess of the times when you've prayed, maybe my will be done and not thy will be done. Enter into unity behind the vision that God has given us to go and make disciples that can make disciples. Sing it. Mean it. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and to have his way today. To flood this place. Welcome his presence into your heart and surrender to his transforming nature as you call on the name of the Lord. Let's sing.